You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist Woolless Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. If something happens during the program, like the earth comes to an end, Anarchist World This Week will be on the iCloud. Just go to 3cr.org.au. 3cr.org.au. It is podcast. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, Anarchos without rulers. It's a society without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You look at what gives rulers the ability to dictate the lives of hundreds of millions, if not billions of people. It's very simple, inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, that's share power, and hold wealth in common, that's share wealth. It's about putting the interests of the many before the interests of the few. It's a very simple concept which human beings have struggled for for eternity. So if you're involved in the struggle to improve people's life, in the struggle to by sharing wealth and increasing decision-making power, well, then you, whether you like it or not, are an anarchist. Sorry to tell you, everybody has a bit of anarchism in them. Everybody. Now, this program has been pre-recorded 24 hours before you listen to it. I normally don't pre-record programs, but there is an important uh, ceremony tomorrow. Uh, There is an important ceremony as I speak and that's the unveiling of the Peter Norman statue at Lakeside Oval, which I've got an invitation to as the convener of the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee. Now, this is basically will be a, an athletics type of thing. Uh, uh, obviously, today, the 9th of uh, November, which is the day you're listening to the program, is Peter Norman Day. And if you're wondering, what's Peter, who's Peter Norman? Uh, Peter Norman was the Australian 1968 Olympic Mexico Olympics 2000 metres silver medalist. He paid an extraordinary personal price for supporting universal human rights. He was born in 1942. He grew up in Northcote in Melbourne. He represented Australia in the 200 metres in the 1968 Mexico Olympics. He won in a silver in a time of 20.06 seconds, a time that has never been beaten by an Australian athlete. So what, I hear you say, so what? We've had plenty of gold medalists. This bloke was only a silver medalist. Now, this was 1968, the height 
of uh, revolt across the world, the height of black power in the United States of America. Now, the Afro-American athletes who represented the United States of America had considered boycotting the Mexico Olympics to raise the issue of human rights, but they decided to participate but protest. Now, Peter Norman found himself in a situation that most of us find ourselves during our lives, but in a situation where many of us just walk away. The gold medalist was Tommy Smith, an Afro-American, and the bronze medalist was John Carlos, an Afro-American. Peter Norman was in the middle of the silver medalist. They asked him, Tommy Smith and John Carlos turned to Peter Norman and they asked him, do you believe in God? Do you believe in human universal human rights? He answered yes to both questions. The Americans told him they would use the medal, medal, medal presentation to promote their cause. He told them, Peter Norman said to them, I will stand with you. How many times have you found yourself in a situation which you believe is unjust and you've shut your eyes and walked away? Peter Norman didn't walk away, didn't shut his eyes. He understood, that it was 1968, he understood the essence of their struggle, the essence for universal human rights. And he said to them, I will stand with you. On the way to the medal ceremony, Norman asked the United States rower Paul Hoffman if he could wear the badge he was wearing, a badge that supported the United the Olympic Project for Human Rights, which was the organisation which the American athletes had formed to promote human rights. So Norman put this badge on his Australian jacket. While Smith and Carlos gave the human rights salute, Norman stood on the dais wearing the Olympic Project for Human Rights badge to publicly demonstrate his solidarity with their cause. Retribution by the Australian Olympics Committee was swift and brutal. Norman was reprimanded for his actions. The media in Australia ostracised him when he came home. The Australian Olympic Committee refused to send him to Munich in 1972, despite Norman posting Olympic qualifying times in both the 100 and 200 metres. The 1972 Olympics was the first time since 1896, the beginning of the modern Olympics, that Australia had not been representative in the sprints. Salt was rubbed into an open wound in 2000 when the Australian Olympic Committee did not invite him to participate in the celebrations surrounding the Sydney Olympics. This is 2000. He attended as a guest of the United States track and field team. Norman died of a heart attack, age 64, on the 3rd of October 2006. Both the gold medalist, Tommy Smith, and the bronze medalist, John Carlos, felt so strongly about the action and the personal price that Peter Norman had paid for his stand that they attended his funeral in Melbourne in 2006, acting as pallbearers and delivering eulogies 
to a great Australian who'd been ostracised and forgotten by a nation that continues to give lip service to human rights. The US Track and Field Federation, realising the personal costs Peter Norman bore throughout his life because of his brave, dignified and moral stand in the struggle for universal human rights, declared the 9th of October, the day of his funeral in 2006, as Peter Norman Day, a day that is celebrated in the United States and largely ignored in Australia. That was until 12 months ago. Through the efforts of the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee and many other individuals and committees around this country, a statue to Peter Norman has finally been, will be finally be unveiled today at Lakeside Oval to highlight his progress, not just as an athlete, but as a man who, when confronted with the question about whether he supported the injustice that he saw around him or whether he supported those who had injustice piled upon injustice decided to stand with them. We can be Peter Norman today. Although there is an official ceremony being held as I speak, the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee will be holding a people's ceremony outside the Melbourne Town Hall in Swanson Street, Melbourne, from 1pm to 2pm today. That's Wednesday the 9th of October. 1pm to 2pm outside the Melbourne Town Hall in Swanson Street today, to which you are all welcome to come. It'd be nice to see as many people as possible declaring their support for universal human rights between 1 and 2pm today, Wednesday the 9th of October, outside the Melbourne Town Hall in Swanson Street. Remember, we all have choices. Every day we find our situations where we see injustice. Every day we have the ability to shut our eyes, put our hands over our ears, put our hands across our mouth, or stand up like Peter Norman did and stand with people who are the victims of injustice. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Uh, This evening, that's the 9th of October, uh, at the uh, dinner at 7pm, which will be held at uh, La Porchetta in Carlton North. It's about 392 Raftdown Street, Carlton North. I'll be giving a short uh, presentation uh, regarding Peter Norman, regarding his significance and regarding the personal price he paid. So I'd uh, welcome you, if you can't make it, to the uh, ceremony, out the people's ceremony outside the uh, Melbourne Town Hall in Swan Street between 1 and 2 p.m. Uh, you're more than welcome to come along tonight to the dinner. Uh, you basically pay for what you eat and drink. So that's tonight, 7 p.m., La Porquetas, 392 Raftdown Street, Carlton North in Melbourne. Let's move on. Now, I've been privileged, well, I'm privileged to be speaking to you on a radio network which doesn't censor me, on a radio network which doesn't dictate what I say, on a radio network which has the courage to bring ideas to people. 
And although I've been an activist for over 51 years, one of the most exciting things I've been involved in is public interest before corporate interests, which is the establishment of a organisation which uses both direct action and parliamentary politics to promote the interests of the many, that's the public, before the interests of the few, that's the corporate sector. And those of you who are regular listeners to the Anarchist World this week would have listened to me talk about the public interest before corporate interests ad nauseum over the past few years as we've been trying to build up our membership so we can register public interest before corporate interests as a federal political party. And to a large degree, that's because although there is significant political activity outside the parliamentary cycle, that political activity tends to be stifled by the mass media, the corporate-owned media, the government guild at ABC, and by many institutions in this country. And unfortunately, what we see represented in Parliament at the federal level and the state level is interests who are minority interests who are making extraordinary decisions about the fate of this country. So we don't think it should just be left to them to make those decisions. So public interest before corporate interest has been established as a federal political party in order to challenge that that manipulation of the parliamentary process by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And if you want to learn more about public interest before corporate interest, all you need to do is to go to the website pipci.net, have a look at the application form, download the application form. If you agree with what's there, well, sign up. But so why am I happy, excited today? Well, I'm excited today because we have come to a historic juncture as far as public interest before corporate interest is concerned. It's taken a year two public interest before corporate interest congresses and a postal ballot of all PIPC members to arrive at eight specific PIPC policies. This has been an exercise of direct democracy in action. All members of public interest before corporate interest had the power to attend congresses and formulate policy. And once that policy was formulated after two congresses, a postal ballot is held of all PIPSI members to arrive at the following policies. Now, it's interesting that, uh, and I'll go through the policies in a minute, it's interesting to note that comments ranged during this process from Thank you to all PIPSI executive and committees who have persevered and worked so collaboratively and diligently to bring these excellent policies to life. Such vision and integrity is rarely experienced. How fortunate we are to have you. How blessed for our children and grandchildren. Two, please cancel my membership from PIPSI immediately. I cannot to subscribe to some of your policies. And this was before we actually voted on the policies. Now, on the weekend, the ballot, the secret ballot was counted. 
and it was quite interesting. And I'll go through it because I, I think it's important that people understand we are not an issue-orientated group. We are a group that believes in radical social change, cultural change, political change, based on the concepts of direct democracy, the people involved in decision making that decision and using a delicate system, not a representation system. And we are a group that is interested and wants to share wealth. That's right. Create wealth and share it. Of those Pipsy members who returned their postal ballots, 96% supported the public housing policy. 94% supported our public utilities policy. 92% supported our universal basic income policy. 90% supported our human cause climate change policy. 89% supported our policies on treaty. 88% supported our policy on cooperatives and collectives. 87% supported our policy on gender equality and 82% supported uh, our animal justice policy. Now, I'm going to go through these policies to give you an idea of the what PIPSI is about. In case you're disillusioned with the current political process and in case you feel that taking a direct action is not enough, that we also need to be involved in parliamentary action as well as direct action. We need to use both uh, tactics simultaneously. I'll go through these policies because we are looking for another 150 members on the federal electoral roll. You don't have to be on the electoral roll to become a member, but it'll be useful if you are because once we have that number, we can actually apply for registration as a federal political party. And it's not about waiting for general elections. It's about by-elections. By-elections, even small parties can have significant impact on by-elections in an era when disillusionment with the major parties and the major parties' policies has become a significant issue. In an era where policy is still dictated by that small percentage of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, it's important that we provide some type of alternative and some type of difference. So what I will do is I will actually read the policy. Now, all these policies will be up on the PIPSI website within the next week, uh, and uh, you'll have a better chance to actually look at them yourself and see what you think. And if you think that this is your type of organisation, well, I encourage you to join as uh, soon as possible. Now, it's important to remember that these are not perfect policies. We're just human beings who are attempting to organise around issues which promote the interests of the many before the interests of the few. People, a lot of people don't actually understand what the public is. The public is the many. It's us, the many. And who is the few? The corporate sector those who have the power and the money to determine laws, to set the parliamentary agenda, to pull the levers of the parliamentary puppets. And it's about time we had a few puppets who cut 
those strings from the corporate sector and actually started to jump up and down independently of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Unfortunately, over the last decade or so, we have seen more and more people who have been disenfranchised and discriminated against actually worshipping at the feet of their masters, turning their venom against the very people who are attempting to change society. And for me... And in many cases, due to the fact that we're looking at issue-orientated campaigns, nobody anymore talks about generalised campaigns, about radical transformation of society. So I'll start off with the public housing, healthcare and education. Public housing. Pipsy believes that having a strong, mixed economy in the housing sector will not only reduce the public housing waiting list and allow of eighty two thousand four hundred and ninety nine and allow more financially unstable citizens to have secure housing but put but put a downward pressure on the overinflated property market. So I'll go through that again. Pipsy believes that having a strong mixed economy in the housing sector will not only reduce the public housing waiting list and allow more financially unstable citizens to have secure housing, but it will put a downward pressure on the overinflated property market. All new and hitherto built public housing should remain under state management and oversight, with rental rates not exceeding 25% of a resident's income. The money raised from stamp duty should be used to spot purchase and build new public housing accommodation. 20% of metropolitan developments with over 30 dwellings should be automatically handed over to the state with compensation as independently assessed to manage as public housing. Healthcare. Quality universal healthcare is a right and a necessity for a healthy society. Bulk billing needs to be encouraged and spread across medical practices. The government should cease subsidising private health insurance and instead subsidise public hospitals and doctors to treat or perform operations over $300, pay all costs for citizens who cannot afford to pay. A commission should be set up to investigate action required to improve and increase efficiency in the public hospital sector and establish ideal hospital population and GP population ratios. Education. Public education of a high standard is a universal right and must be upheld through government support. The government should properly fund all public schools and universities to ensure free education is upheld as a right. Private and religious schools, if they wish to continue independently, should be required to be fully self-funded. Primary and secondary teachers should be required to pass an annual minimum standards test and attend training to improve their knowledge, teaching skill if deemed necessary. So this is 96% of PIPSI members supported this policy of public housing, healthcare and education. 94% supported the public utilities policy. And again, these are simple policies. These are not policies you know, that take you know, a genius, PhD, a post-PhDoctoral candidate to understand. These are very simple, succinct policies. For the past four decades, subsequent governments 
have proceeded to sell off public assets and privatise public utilities in the belief that the free market will provide competition resulting in cheaper costs to the consumer and a more efficient service. The, the reality is the consumer has seen a steady increase in the cost of these utilities and a decline in both services and maintenance. Public interest before corporate interests advocate to re-establish a publicly owned People's Bank and subsequent financial advice service. Return all public transport, bus, rail, tram back to public ownership. This would also extend to major airports as well as ports. Supply of water, power and gas to be nationalised. Buyback of telecommunications sector. Resist any attempts to privatise public assets. Resist any attempts to privatise Crown lands. Incorporate the ownership of public assets into the Australian Constitution to prevent future governments arbitrarily privatising publicly owned assets. Public ownership of services and infrastructure allows for greater control over the price and accessibility of essential services, including in remote areas and consequently ensures equality of accessibility regardless of ability to pay. Now, in an era of an increasing population growth and mechanisation, our policy on universal basic income is becoming more and more relevant. So 92% of uh, PIPSI members supported the universal basic income policy. A universal basic income is the foundation stone of economic freedom, independence and personal security in a 21st century economy. The policy is designed to overcome the structural inequalities that exist under the current economic system. The introduction of a universal basic income is an effective answer to the problems caused by rapidly disappearing jobs in an increasingly automated society. The level of what is a universal basic income should be ter- should be de- would be determined yearly by an independent tribunal established by the whole of federal parliament, not just the government of the day. The way this tribunal will be selected mirrors the process used to establish current parliamentary committees. Tax policy would be used to ensure only those who require assistance would benefit from this policy. Individuals earning the basic the universal basic income would pay no tax. Individuals earning more than four times the universal basic income would pay it back in full when they pay their tax bill. And those who earn between these two figures would pay it back on a sliding scale when they pay their tax. Such a system drastically reduces the expenditure required to process and regulate a system based on means testing to determine who needs assistance. This policy can be funded by a new radical approach to taxation that ensures those who currently do not pay their fair share of tax pay tax. Over $150 billion can be generated by introducing a 1% stock market turnover tax, a 1% turnover company tax, a 1% financial services tax. The removal of GST deductions from companies that have a yearly turnover greater than $5 million. Every citizen and permanent resident 
would receive a universal basic income when they turn 18. I mean, it's the big issue, isn't it? It's a big issue in an era of increasing poverty, in an era where mechanisation means we don't need every human being in a country to be involved in the productive process for society to not only survive but prosper. 90% of recipients of uh, PIBC uh, members uh, supported the human cause climate change policy. Climate change or climate disruption is the single most important issue of the 21st century facing humankind and all other living creatures on the planet. Unless drastic measures are undertaken now to address this crisis, all life, including the lives of our children and our grandchildren, will be and are under serious threat from extinction. All of us, especially governments and corporations, must ensure the integrity and protection of biodiversity in all ecosystems, including lakes, rivers, wetlands, water tables and oceans, deforestation and reforestation. There needs to be a global concerted effort of all countries, governments and corporations to plan and implement mass reforestation programs and to halt deforestation and forest degradation to provide resources to protect and expand national parks, marine parks and wetlands, ozone hole repair and greenhouse gas emissions, commitment to reducing greenhouse gas emissions and ozone depleting chemicals, stricter regulations and further research required to eliminate chemicals, waste management and recycling, implement nationwide refund system for glass and plastic bottling, bottle packaging, increase taxes on plastic packaging and manufacturing to reduce and recycle, scientific development to find alternatives to plastics to, to develop actual biodegradable plastics, energy consumption to give financial and tax incentives to renewable and sustainable technologies, products and manufacturing, water management, a major review to be undertaken to be undertaken regarding use of water for corporate-owned coal mining, gas fracking and agriculture in all Australian states, implement rural rehydration methods, retain water runoff and reduce rate of water flow to oceans to enhance vegetation growth, and reducing meat and dairy consumption, tax and financial incentives for farmers are needed to decrease the dependence on animal farming, animal farming for slaughter. Stronger regulations enforced to reduce environmental impacts from water use, land carrying and waste effluent. Now, as I said before, these are not policies that you need a postdoctoral fellow to understand. These are simple, specific policies which address the issues of our time. 89% of uh, PIPSI members who return their ballot papers supported the treaty process. Treaty. Public interest before corporate interest acknowledges Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders have lived on the Australian mainland and surrounding islands for over 60,000 years. We, have, we acknowledge they have never ceded their sovereign rights to their traditional lands. We acknowledge Australia is soaked in the blood of its traditional owners. We acknowledge the unfinished business that exists between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and the rest of, of, of the nation has and continues to have a significant impact on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders today. 
we fully support and accept the Uluru Statement from the Heart that was issued by the, nine, by the 2017 National Constitutional Conviction by Indigenous delegates from most of the 220 independent sovereign nations that existed before colonisation began. When, they gather, when their delegates gathered at Uluru to call for a First Nations voice to be heard by the Australian governments and the Australian public. Public interest before corporate interest supports their call to establish a First Nation voice enshrined in the Australian Constitution, establish a Makarata Commission that coming together after a struggle, to supervise a process of agreement making between governments and First Nations to tell the truth about this country's history, establish a treaty commission to explore the possibility of drawing up a treaty treaties between First Nation peoples and governments at the local, state and federal level. We fully support their call to seek constitutional reforms to empower our people and take a rightful place in our country. 88% supported our policy, the PIPSI policy on cooperatives and collectives. Now, where is that cooperatives and collectives? Where is it hidden? Ah... Do we have it here? Universal Basic Income Treaty. Mm. Well, we may have to leave that to another day. But as I said, 82% supported the call for cooperatives and collectives. No, sorry, 88%. So just to summarise that policy, it's a very simple policy. Uh, The policy about cooperatives and collectives is a policy which promotes cooperatives and collectives as a third tier in the economic struggle. That's right, a third tier. And then we had... And then we had... uh, 87% 87% supported uh, question of gender equality. And I will go through that. We're not, here we go. Gender equality principles. Pipsy believes in retaining and further promoting the rights of people, regardless of what gender they identify with, to work and support themselves, to balance career and family life, and to live safely without the fear of abuse or violence. Pipsy believes it is imperative that the knowledge and experience of people is utilised in all aspects of society, regardless of what gender they identify themselves with. Policies. To teach the principles of gender equity in schools. To ensure equal pay for equal work, regardless of a worker's gender, identity or sexual orientation. To take specific initiatives in schools, vocational education universities that increase women's participation and success in traditionally male-dominated careers. To further develop and support national anti-violence, including family violence, public education campaigns and programs, including primary prevention and early intervention programs. To dedicate adequate funding for services to cater for the whole of life, health and welfare needs of people with diverse sexuality, gender identities and intersex. To ensure sex or gender information in official records only be recorded when necessary, when sex or gender is necessary information to collect in official records, gender markers be available that reflect the diversity of the Australian population. So once again, and the last was the animal justice policy. Now these policies are all 
will be all available on the Pipsy website, pipsy.net. So as I said before, Pipsy is not a issue-orientated group. There are many issues-orientated groups which are doing a lot of good work in society promoting specific issues. But Pipsy is about, that's public interest before corporate interest, is about providing a wide framework of ideas and policies regarding the best way to tackle the issues which confront us as a species, as nation-states, as members of families, and as individuals. So if you are interested... You can always go to the website, pipsy.net. If you don't have a website, I'm quite happy to post out the Pipsy policies to you and uh, you can have a look at them. You can always leave a message on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489, and uh, you can um, let me know if you need any application forms and I'll post them out to you. You always can write write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. As I said before, we need uh, to um, get involved and we need to have some type of group, whether you call it a political party or not, that only not only uses direct action but also uses parliamentary politics. Today, too many groups just use parliamentary politics or direct action and uh, uh, the re- results when you consider the last federal election, aren't very encouraging on either front. Now, it's my pleasure. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. It's my pleasure to announce a um, conference or a forum, a public forum with free entry, which has been organised by a a PIPSI member. And the conference topic is Think Global, Act Local. Uh, Again, we don't have any of this information on the website, but we will have information on the website within the next uh, few days. But I'll go through this uh, forum. It's three entry. And I'd like to thank uh, George Alexandru, for organising this. He spent a lot of uh, effort and time and his own money to uh, organise this Think Global, Act Local public forum in the Willis Room, in the Whitehorse Civic Centre, which is 379 to 397 Whitehorse Road in Nunawadding in Melbourne. On Saturday the 2nd of November, that's Saturday the 2nd of November, which is not far away, about three or four weeks away, which will go from midday to 4pm now, Speakers, well, the MC will be Kelly Whitworth. It's a midday start. Acknowledgement to country. Then uh, introduction by George Alexandru. And the speakers, Jessica Harrison from the Unemployed Workers' Union. Robbie Forpe, well-known Aboriginal activist in Victoria, if not Australia. Lunch from 1.10 to 2 p.m. Jack Verdens from Friends of Public Housing and yours truly, Joseph Toscano, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Then we will have statements from forum participants. So we are giving forum participants the ability to get up 
not just not ask questions, but make a statement from the floor. That'll be followed by a panel discussion with question and answer. And hopefully it'll finish around 4pm. So it's a four-hour forum to which you are all invited. Saturday, the 2nd of November, midday to 4pm. Think global, act global, act local, public forum, three entry. As I said before, again, this is a general forum. Not issue orientated, a general forum. For far too long, most radical activists have been involved in issue orientated campaigns. And although issue orientated campaigns are important, we need to have a general policies and vision on what's happening in society today. Because if we don't have a general policy, we don't have a general vision, we may find that uh, we will continue to be on the margins and fringes of society. Because, you know, things are changing. As I spoke last week about the children's revolution that are breaking out across the country, and we are seeing people take to the streets in various parts of the world for various reasons. Some for personal freedom, and democracy, others for a more equitable distribution of wealth. But again, all these struggles are based on the fact of the growing inequalities in power and wealth in society. And as radical activists, we need to be able to have to play a part in these movements as they arise. Because radical social change, egalitarian social change, does not just come from one group or one direction. It comes from many directions, but the underlying issue is access. Access resources, access to power. And with the pressures which are increasing on a daily basis because of increasing population growth, the domination of the world economy by corporate capitalism, an economic system which is based on creating ever-increasing profits irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs, and increasing CO2 emissions due to human activity, we need to be there. We need to be there because change is necessary. Radical change is necessary. If you look at the PIPC policy, it's necessary in many areas of our life. And currently, let's be realistic, 99.9% of people do not feel that need for radical change. But we are seeing breakouts around the world as the normal power structures are not able to deliver to people for a variety of reasons. And if you're not in that struggle, as it explodes around the world, you have no impact on the direction that struggle takes. Because a revolution doesn't necessarily entail 
a creation of an egalitarian community, what we see in many revolutionary situations, is authoritarian elements taking over that process, as we saw recently in the Arab Spring, taking over that process and reasserting their power because of confusion among those people involved in those protests, among those people who are calling for change. And what public interest before corporate interest can do in our situation here in this country is provide a focus for radical egalitarian change which gives us as a people and as a nation and as a species the best opportunity not only to survive but to prosper and to ensure that each and every person has the ability to develop themselves to the fullest potential without the threat of authoritarian governments curtailing their options. So, you know, public interest before corporate isn't ideologically driven. It's driven by a need for change. It's driven by an understanding of the reality that we're faced with. It's driven by the idea that the current political structures are the problem and offer no solution to the problem. Now, obviously, we are a small, minuscule, inconsequential group of people. But what makes us strong is our ability to get together and actually attempt to come up with solutions to problems that we face. So hopefully over the next year or two, there'll be more groups like ours springing up across the country, not just issue orientated, but understanding, groups that understand that in order to get fundamental change in society, you need to bring the people on board. You need to bring people on board. And to date, we have not been able to bring people on board for a variety of reasons, ranging from the control of the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC, their ability to control the political agenda for the day. Irrespective of what we think about the legacy media, the old media, the old print media, they continue to determine public policy. Nothing highlights this more than the results of the last federal election, where people faced with the choice of beginning to tackle the issue of climate change, emergency, and franking credits, chose franking credits. Although... The number of people affected by the changes to the franking credit legislation would be minuscule in comparison to the number of people affected by climate change. Minuscule. And what we saw was a successful campaign by that small section of the society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication to ensure that they and they alone determine our future. And nothing highlights this more 
than the advertisements which BHP is now pushing. Because BHP, the big Australian, understands. They do their research. They understand there is an increasing dissatisfaction with the way these corporations work, not just in terms of the damage they do when they extract natural resources, but the fact that most of these corporations do not pay their fair share of tax, that most of these corporations are making extraordinary profits that could actually, if these companies were in the hands of the state or the community, making extraordinary profits which could be ploughed back into community services. So we are, as I said, a juncture. The juncture is more authoritarian rule, more inequality in power and wealth, a greater non-authoritarian rule, less inequality in power and wealth. We are at that juncture. We can go either way. And what way we move to a significant degree determines on the attitude of people in the community. Because when you've got a community that is disillusioned with the institutional structures, disillusioned with the political structures, disillusioned with parliamentary democracy, disillusioned with the major corporations disillusioned with the financial and banking sector, disillusioned with the behaviour of religious institutions in this country. You have a recipe for disaster because this disillusionment could could coalesce, as we saw in fascist Italy and uh, Nazi Germany, into the rise of authoritarian political parties and movements which believe that having a strong leader and authoritarian rule is the answer to addressing these problems. So, the ball's in your court. I keep saying the ball's in your court because ultimately the ball is in your court. Because we do live in interesting Times And I'll tell you why. Because during the last four decades, and I'll use those horrible words again, deregulation, corporatisation, globalisation, privatisation, revolution, what we have seen is the destruction of the public sector. What we have seen is the state return to its original uh, role, which was to maintain the status quo through its monopoly on the use of force. That's right. The state retain the history of the 19th century and the 20th century has been a history of popular movements forcing the state to intervene to provide services and support to its citizens. I mean, old age pensions, disability support pensions, unemployment benefits, social security benefits didn't drop out of thin air because governments loved us. 
They dropped out of thin air through struggle, through decades of struggle, where people were demanding the state no longer just provided security for those who exploited people, but actually started looking after the interests of the people themselves. And if you look at many of the PIPSI policies, they are based on that very principle. And they are based on that principle by creating a third sector in the economy, by reintroducing competition, by creating a mixed economy where there is a competition between the private and public sector. I'll give you an example. Currently, we've seen interest rates drop to 0.75%. But many financial institutions in this country which provide uh, credit cards are still charging 20, 21, 22% interest rates on cash advances, 10, 15% interest rates on purchases if you don't pay them within a month. And then when you look at the interest which is charged on loans, business loans, it's not unusual to be charging 6, 8, 10, 12% on business loans. And it's not unusual to be charging 4, 5% on home loans. So although the official interest rates continue to decrease, we see the financial sector, which is dominated by a handful of companies who have government license to exploit their customers doing everything they can to maximise return to their shareholders. Because there is no competition in the financial sector because there is no government bank. There is no government-owned bank like there was between 1911 and 1982 when the Commonwealth Bank was introduced to provide competition to the privately-owned banks. Now, if you had a government-owned bank, it could provide, it could pass on the full cut in interest rates, forcing the private banks to either decrease their margins or lose customers. It's all very well for the Treasurer, Mr Frydenberg, telling us to change banks if we're not happy, if they're not passing on the full cut. If all the banks don't pass on the full cut, what's the point of changing? Because every time you change, there's a cost. What's the point? And that's the reality. So unless we are able to re-establish a public sector which acts as competition with the private sector, we will never, never be in a position to reverse the economic inequality which is growing in this country and the inequalities in power which we see every day with the passage of legislation which does not assist citizens but assists corporations and that small section society that owns the means of production, distribution and exchange. As I said before at the beginning of the program, I pre-recorded this program 24 hours previously The earth may have come to an end by now, but who knows. But uh, I think the important thing to remember is today is Peter Norman Day. 
Come and join us between 1 and 2 p.m. outside the Melbourne Town Hall. Not inside, outside. We're not welcome inside, but outside we uh, carve our little niche between 1 and 2 p.m. Rain, hail or, or shine. You'll see the banners. Come and join us. Listen to us uh, speak about the importance of Peter Norman Day. Also, as I said before, I've read out some of the uh, PIPSI policies, uh, of the eight policies. There are a few more to read out, which, you know, you can actually access these by going to the website pipsy.net, pipsy.net. And if you want to join, just download the application form from pipsy.net. As I said before, public interest before corporate interests is a political party and a direct action group. It is a combination of the two things that are important today in our society. Not only some post-revolutionary nirvana which doesn't exist, but the, today's reality. You want change, not only do we need direct action, we also need parliamentary actions and people with radical egalitarian views to be in parliament. parliament and public interest before corporate interest hopes to do that in the next 12 months. So if you think about joining, go to the website, pipsy.net. All the policies will be up within a, by the end of the week. Have a look at them. If you like what you if you like what you see, download the application form. If you don't like it, form your own party. The key is to be active. The key is to you know, like the you know, different organizations we see out in the streets every day, like uh, you know, the uh, extinction people, climate extinction people, climate emergency people, you know. It's all about taking action at both levels, both parliamentary and extra parliamentary. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Don't forget the public housing everybody's business vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. The next one is today, 5.30 to 6.30pm. Come and join us. Don't forget this evening uh, I'll be doing a presentation about the importance of Peter Norman Day and the importance of Peter Norman at the uh, dinner at La Porchetta's. Uh, I think it's about 392 Raftown Street in Carlton North. Starts at 7pm. So thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. You can go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, or Toscano for the Public. You can go to Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, YouTube channel. You can go to uh, Public Housing, Everybody's Business, Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing, Facebook page, Anarchist Media Institute webpage, pipsy.net webpage. Uh, you can find out what the Wednesday Action Group is doing by going to the pipsy.net webpage. So thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And next week we'll be here live. That's if I'm still alive. Thank you once again. Felicia the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday 
Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.